Hello, my dear friends. Thank you for tuning into Love Service Wisdom with myself, Rada Wepner. Just a warning before we start, in this episode, we do talk about sexual abuse and trauma, which for some listeners could be distressing. So if you or someone you know is in need of immediate support, here are some resources. There's the National Sexual Assault Hotline that you can reach at 1-800-656-HOPE, H-O-P-E. There's the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-422-4453. And the Crisis Text Line where you can text CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to the number 741 741. And all of these are free and available 24-7. In this episode, I'm joined by a guest named Mary, who shares her own personal story of healing through the use of ketamine, ketamine-assisted therapy. So she shares the details of that, a very powerful healing experience that brought her to a place of self-love self-acceptance. And she shared too that just having this conversation helped her to heal a layer of shame that she didn't think was possible and that she was able to show up really fully in this conversation in a way that she hadn't um, been before. So she was really grateful for it. And I'm incredibly grateful to Mary for her courage in sharing her story of what's possible. So you will hear this, my dear listeners, and you might hear more from Mary in the future. She's working on a memoir, and if it comes out, we'll have a follow-up conversation and uh, see 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 what's going on with that. I wish her all the best. This was an incredible conversation that we had a few months back now because it's getting near the end of July. I believe this was like mid May that Mary and I spoke and I haven't released a podcast <laughs> since then. It's been an incredibly busy time as um, I was just expressing to a friend. It feels like the engines are all revving again and there's a lot of activity. We got, at least I did, at used to this spaciousness that happens in the quarantine and in the lockdown and it's taken me, I'm not used to, um, I'm not used to things again. And so anyways, I don't hope that doesn't sound like an excuse. It's just the truth that I want, I'm wanting to stay slow and spacious and, uh, I'm feeling at overwhelmed at times with all the wonderful, amazing things that are happening. I'm grateful for lots, but, um, it's a lot. And this podcast is something that's near and dear to my heart. So I plan on continuing to do it. So even though it might go quiet for a while, I am still here with you. And who knows, I might be offering more in the future as I kind of rearrange my life a little bit to have the spaciousness that I desire, which means letting go of a few things, saying no here and there, and living into the moment, living into the moment. 
And thanks to everybody who's rated this podcast on iTunes, five stars, or given a review, or you just follow it on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps a lot in helping to spread the word. I hope you're getting as much value out of listening to this as I do sharing it with you. And just wanted to say thanks. Thanks to all the listeners, new and the um the ones that have been with me for a long time since the beginning. So with that, here is my conversation with the incredible, brave, beautiful Mary. Well, I am here with Mary who has been who has had many experiences or several experiences with ketamine-assisted therapy, or CAP as we call it, and she is going to share some about what that process has been like for her and what she's learned. And you know, I guess I'm curious, Mary, when did you first discover ketamine-assisted therapy? Um, yeah, well, thank you for asking and thank you for having me. Um, so as I'm a therapist myself, and I've worked with a few clients who were very treatment resist, had treatment resistant depression and had looked for them for additional resources and learned a little bit about it at that time. Um, and then so they brought it to you. Well, they, they made me learn more and they taught me. Yes. Um, yeah. So in my capacity as trying to help my clients, I, I searched for them. Um, then um, as a person who's been in and out of, well, who's used antidepressants from the time I was a teenager off and on, but mostly off as an adult, um, when I started struggling last year a lot with um, with a lot of self-esteem issues and shame and things like that, um, I actually signed up to be in the MDMA um, phase three uh, study and then COVID uh, ended it. So I had like gotten through all these interviews and they told me I would be in the study. Um, and then they stopped doing the study um, because of COVID. So at the time I was lucky enough that my own psychiatrist had just um, recently completed his training in CAP. And he said, well, maybe you wanted to try this. And I was really nervous um, and I took a few months to um, do some research and then I finally decided to do it because I, um, I'm i 46 and I said, I'm scared to do this, but I want to live the rest of my life to the fullest and traditional antidepressants really haven't been that helpful for me. Do you mind sharing what that nervousness was about? Mm. So that's one of my the things that I've noticed about my experience that I haven't heard as much in my training. I met, um, I'm in currently in training to do ketamine assisted psychotherapy with clients myself. And in the hundreds of other clinicians I've met, I don't hear a ton of, of um, discussion about the anxiety piece. I had pretty extreme anxiety about doing ketamine assisted therapy. Um, I had done for yourself for doing, yeah, for yeah. receiving it. Mm -hmm. And again, what's that anxiety? What, Where is that coming from? Do you know? Well, it's weird because I had done um, LSD. I had done MDMA when I was younger. Um, and, I, and I really enjoyed my experiences. I felt like they were really 
um, healing for me. Um, I felt like they were spiritual for me and beautiful and some of the most important things in my life. Um, but as I got older, I got really scared of letting go of control. Okay. So for me, it was like, I'm going to take this medicine and I'm going to be have eye shades and headphones and someone I don't know that well is going to be watching me and I'm probably not going to be able to get up and walk away or what. I just had all these fears about not being in control and sort of having to surrender. Yeah. What uh, I might look like, what I might do, what I might say, how I might react. It was more, what if I get stuck and I can't get out? Like knowing for an hour, I'm going to be in it. You know, like I can't get out of it. That's for me what it, it felt like. Once I take this medicine, there's no stop. Like it's a minute and I can't mm -hmm. get away. So, you know, I'll say a little bit more about it later if you want. But I started the treatment for depression, but I do have um, a lot of trauma history. And um, I think a lot of my experience with ketamine, I would say for me, has been really about my trauma history and bringing up a lot of old traumas. And one of them is being stuck and feeling like I can't get away as a rape mm -hmm. survivor. So I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I think there's other things, but I think that's one piece of it is feeling like, what if I can't get away? What if I can't run? What if I can't, you know, and that was really scary for me. Of course, Mary, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. That yeah. makes a lot of sense for that fear of being stuck, not being able to get away and being very vulnerable, mm. incredibly vulnerable in an altered state, mm -hmm. right? And your body can't move. Mm. And so it was, I can guess, very triggering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in fact, when I first heard about ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, because I have had a lot of anxiety, I did a lot of my normal coping mechanisms, which was to research, to study, to listen to every podcast, to do like all the reading I possibly could. And, and I started to get nervous because I felt like maybe I should do infusions because so much of what I read in the research was about infusions. Um, but in the end, I knew the people who were doing the cap and that was much more important to me to go with someone I trusted and I felt safe with. Um, and that was then with trochees or sublingual. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how it started. And it started. Um, so last July in the middle of uh, COVID, which was very interesting. Um, you know, so when I, my first session, I was pretty anxious and I had to wear a mask, which I don't mind on a normal day, but in that, situation I was really uncomfortable I'm like what is it going to be like to to look up and see my therapist with a mask on? like is it going to freak me out and because I didn't have experience with ketamine so I didn't know if it was going to like, wearing be, a mask over your mouth not like an eye shade the mouth mask yeah it was a mask yeah. plus an eye shade plus hip. it was it was a lot actually um so that was interesting um that's part of what I've written about is just like going through this during COVID which has been um pretty interesting in and of itself but um but anyway um I can say more but what other questions do you had I don't know what you want to well it sounds like you uh discovered it through some of your own clients who had treatment resistant depression and then realized it might be something good for your 
self to try Mm -hmm. to help with the similar things on your own and then needed to think about it for a while because of the trauma and the anxiety that it was bringing up and then you decided to go for it. So -hmm. you had that first session right in July, COVID time. How was that for you, surrendering and diving in? Well, part of what I... I started to write a guidebook for ketamine actually. And um, it's turned maybe in more to a memoir, but um, I think some of my defenses that I built up over the year have been to, like I said before, like really plan and strategize and figure everything out and know exactly what to expect, which is why surrendering to a medicine was hard. But I also use those skills, I guess, to, um, to really prepare. So um, I'm a meditator. So I did a lot of meditation and preparation. And I, I sort of asked for guidance um, before going in. And one of the most beautiful things that happened for me is that um, I had this image of um, Durga and Athena mm. who came to me. And I was like, I'm going to cry right now. I have goosebumps. And I was like, they're going to be there with me. And um, Athena had a shield and Durga had all her arms. And so every time, and I have a history with IFS and parts. So every time I'd have a part that was like scared or, or whatever, during my first ketamine session, I'd see um, Durga just take the part and hold her. Mm -hmm. And Athena would be like, Mary, you can keep going. Like, because I really had the sense that that I love these parts, but that I had to like, let them take a back seat because I need to do this for myself. Um, so that was super powerful. It was really hard. My first session, I like, I wrote down, I have some notes about, I think my intention was to know I am loved and lovable. And I was like, oh, that's an easy intention. Like that's, that's simple, <laughs> you know? And I didn't realize like, oh, that's going to bring up all the reasons I don't feel that way. So mm. I was so scared when I felt I I could feel like the medicine within minutes of swallowing it, like a heat, like heat go up my body and like tingling, which I can imagine for some people would feel really good. For me, it was like panic attack. It was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, my body's like going out of control. And so I started to cry and my therapist was like, do you want me to hold your hand? And she walked, she walked over and she held my hand with our masks on. And, and I just sobbed and sobbed. Mm. And because at the time I didn't realize it, but I kind of had a mom who really wasn't very present and wasn't like a nurturing, like um, person who would be there and hug me or hold me if I was scared. And so for me, this, like, I am lovable and loved brought up like I can let someone take care of me. I can be vulnerable. I can, you know, allow someone to nurture me. And it was so hard. I just saw, I, I saw it for an hour. I was <laughs> like, I went through a whole entire box of Kleenex. Um, it was really, really hard. And it was also really beautiful, which is actually what all of ketamine has been for me. It's been extremely hard, the hardest thing I've ever done. And also the most profound and beautiful thing mm-hmm. I've ever done. And when you say hard, hard emotionally, um, yeah, I fully 
it's so weird as an, you know, an anesthetic, right? Like I felt like this embodied sense of abandonment and like grief for that. And then this healing of having someone show up for me in a way that I hadn't had, you know? So it was like all of that wrapped up in one, like grief and love and surrender and healing. It was just, and it's so fast and so profound. Um, yeah. So it wasn't an easy first session. <laughs> um, you but know, like then, you're saying so healing and to be with a therapist that you truly trust and trust the relationship where mm-hmm. you could let go to that degree and just mm-hmm. cry for an hour and a half, which I'm assuming mm-hmm. is exactly what you needed to feel and mm-hmm. to, and to let out. And to be with, just to be with it, to be with that feeling of abandonment, mm. the feeling of the lack of of care that you didn't receive, and then how that affected your own ability to love yourself. Mm. And and as a I mean, externally sort of successful person who's worked really hard, who gets shit done and acts like I have my, my life together, you know, to be a mess in front of someone, you know, and, and it, my therapist actually was someone who I trusted because she was connected to people I trusted, but I actually didn't know her well, but I knew her husband well. So, so it felt like the safest person to go to because she was connected to people I knew. So actually I was still getting to know her. Um, and, um, yeah. And it was interesting at the end, I've all, I've had a lot of, of learning, um, at the end of sessions when we're like wrapping up when I'm, when I've taken the eye shades off and I've taken the headphones off and I've up and we've started to sort of talk a little bit, um, and I've learned a lot like that day. I was like, when am I supposed to leave? Am I supposed to go? Is she mad at me? Am I taking too long? Like really seeing how much like of a people pleaser I was and like how concerned I was about what other people needed and like, I'm burdening, like things like that. All the um, transference. Mm-hmm. So yeah, even that, like wrapping up the sessions has been mm-hmm. pretty, um, I have clients that express similar things Mm. towards me. I'm keeping you, you need to go, you know, Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And it's like, I'm here for you. We're in this together. Like there's no Mm. rush. The thing with ketamine too, is that it is a gradual return. And so Mm. when you're in the space and coming out of it, in a traditional therapy session, you know, it's like, well, the hour's done. Okay, thanks. And you can kind of wrap up. And this is like, like water coming up onto a shore, you know, it's just, it takes mm. the time that it takes and you can't say, all right, we're going to end at noon because yeah. it's an altered state of consciousness. Mm. And that makes it different. It does. It yeah. sets a different container, mm-hmm. especially for the the patient. Yeah. And to allow, I mean, for me to allow myself, I mean, I've seen my experience with ketamine as a like long exposure therapy, like treatment, you know, it's like just to, to be needy, to, Mm -hmm. to take someone's time. Like, 
Yes. That has felt really hard for me. Um, Yeah. Um, I get emotional thinking about it because I think before the ketamine um, treatment, like I really didn't let myself feel those feelings. You know, they clearly were there, but I'd be like, I'm good. I'm all set, you know, um, and I wouldn't Which is ask. your protective mechanism. It's what you learned okay. when you were really young to get by without having your needs met, without, you didn't feel like you could ask for what you needed. And so mm. it was like, I'm fine. Things are fine. I'm fine. I can do this. Nope. I don't need you. I think. But I believed it. I mean, that's the thing that's so shocking, even as a meditator and a therapist, you know, to ketamine just really for has has peeled the onion of like holy shit that's been there all lot you know and it's and it's not shocking to me that it's been mm-hmm. there but mm-hmm. it's so interesting how an hour before the medicine i can be like all together and then i take it and i'm like oh mm-hmm. actually this has been here all along and um and that's so important and so healing to be that mess and to be that needy and to have someone there and show up and um care. Uh, and I didn't mention this, but one of my, you know, at the beginning, um, I can't even imagine it now. It's been since last July is when I started. Um, but when I, the week before I started ketamine treatments, um, I woke up every day saying, I hate myself. Um, which is so hard to say. And, um, I've never said that again, ever since I started my ketamine treatment. So I know not for everyone that won't happen, but for me, it was like a lifesaver. Um, so, um, and, and actually after my first treatment, it was so funny because I was, I was on a, um, I was staying at a vacation rental. It's a long story, but at, in a, like a beachy town after my um, first treatment, and a couple of days later, I went with my daughter, uh, who was five. We went to the beach and she wanted to go swimming. And I got up to go to the ocean. And I remember thinking in the past, like I always thought, shit, people are going to look at my ass and I don't want to like people to see me in a bathing suit. And I got up like two days after my first ketamine treatment and I thought about my ass and people looking at it. And I go and I heard myself say, fuck them if they don't like it. And I started laughing so hard. I was like, who the fuck am I? Like, I was like, who is this person? Um, and it was just so shocking. I mean, it was just. That's the Dorga. That's the inner Dorga. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and not like it's all been easy since then at all. Um, but, but the real like self uh, hatred might be, well, I don't know, has self-hatred and really low self-esteem and extreme concern about like weight and body image and all that stuff has definitely decreased significantly since wow. I started. The That's so powerful, Mary. Mm. So powerful. And I feel too powerful for you to share that inner truth and to share your story because it's true from external appearances. You're someone who's beautiful, who has their things together, who gets shit done, who's successful, who who if somebody were to walk by you on the street, would never think that you were riddled with self-loathing. Mm. Would, would be the exact opposite, mm. you know? And and I feel like that's a very, unfortunately, it's a very common story. The 
how much others feel that way also about themselves when on the outside, no one would quite perceive that. I know many, most 90% of the clients that I see for ketamine-assisted therapy are also dealing with self-love. That's also Mm. an intention of theirs. So that's just to say the commonality of it. It's when we can recognize that within each other, you know, that shared humanity of that inner grief and sorrow and loss and abandonments. I think it helps us all to have a lot more compassion for ourselves and each other. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It makes me wonder about, and that's a whole nother show, but our culture, I think about the story and I probably will get it wrong, but about the Dalai Lama talking to the neuroscientists at, I think it was neuroscientists from university of Wisconsin. And they asked him what, what he thinks about people who don't like themselves or with bad self-esteem or self-loathing. And he knows English and he didn't, he did not understand what they were asking him. Have you heard the story? No. And yeah. And he asked his translators, like multiple translators, what are they asking? I don't understand what they're asking. And finally, after having it translated so many times, he was like, we don't have that. Like everybody knows they have Buddha nature. And Hmm. I just think, you know, I have my own trauma stories and history, but it's so not, you know, just mine in our culture. It's so all my clients, I mean, it's a, you could have acute trauma or not and still have self-loathing because yes. of because of the conditioning of our society mm-hmm. and the and the disconnect from Buddha nature mm-hmm. or however inner inner higher self or the divine or other or God or nature or community disconnection internally across the board I feel like is something that many of us in the in the West suffer from. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope by doing this work for myself um, and traveling this, this road myself that I can help other people. Um, You know, I have other stories to tell about, about my own sessions, but I, you know, I do plan on doing this work um, full time in the future. Um, But I do think it's really important for me to have had these experiences myself. I can't imagine being um, a ketamine therapist and not having experienced really difficult sessions like that. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, doing the work too, I put myself in the experience of the ketamine journey to do my own work and to experience the medicine because I feel like that's how I can understand what the clients are going through. And then I know other ketamine therapists I've spoken to who have never done it ever. And they Mm -hmm. were actually told that they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, I I can't imagine actually being able to hold space for it if I didn't know what it was like. But I, I hear that you can do it successfully still. But it's, it is so, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Mm. Yeah, I know people doing, yeah, I know people have, who've done infusions and I actually don't mean to make it about the infusions, but who've done infusions, who have done it without 
a therapist or a friend or, and it's just a different experience. Um, I mean, for me, um, one of the most powerful things I've seen happen for me and kept, so I think I've done about nine in office sessions. Um, my maximum has been 200 milligrams, um, the trochies. Um, I do, I've done at home sessions too, um, more like 50 or hundred milligrams, but, um, in the, in office sessions, I've had a, one experience I would really like to talk about is, um, I had a session, I think my intention was to like cultivate more presence and be more awake in life. And, and I really had started to notice how much I controlled my thinking and like my defenses were like, I can, and and like, I noticed in the ketamine, especially that like, if a song was coming on when I did an at home session that I didn't like, or I thought wouldn't make me feel good, I'd like immediately change it. And I was like, so worried that something bad would happen, or I'd feel bad, or I'd go to a negative feeling, you know, and I was so like trying to control it and make it good and make everything okay. Um, that I was like, okay, I got to start to like, the ketamine really helped me start to trust I'll be okay. I can like let go of some of that mm-hmm. control. I can, I can be okay with space. I can be okay with a song. I don't know. I can be okay not knowing. Did you have then an experience where something, let's say negative did come up and you navigated through that? So that's what I was going to say. So during this session where I wanted to be more present and more awake, I I forget exactly my, my intention, but it was to not try to add so much and not try to, um, like add so much scaffolding to yeah, like buffering, hedging. Right, yeah. which is what it was so much like. And even like my goddesses, which I, I like had many different ones who I brought to all these sessions. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to not do that this time intentionally. I'm going to like, just stay with my breath and stay with what happens and stay with the music. And um, so what happened during one session is that I kept feeling this tightness in my chest, which is not too unusual for me when I get anxious. And, um, at the beginning, especially once I've swallowed the medicine within like 10 minutes, I'll get very anxious. But then I felt it up into my throat and like a lump in my throat. Mm. And instead of like bringing in the goddesses or having someone be like, it's okay. You're, you know, like focus on the beautiful, like whatever. I was like, okay, I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to feel this lump in my throat. It's, it's dark and it's hard and small. And like, I was really, and all of a sudden it was just so crazy. I don't know. Um, I haven't really talked about that much since then. It brought me like I was in my body in seventh grade, having a guy basically force me to give him a blowjob and hit, and it was stuck in my throat. And, mm. and it was like so real and I knew, and I knew that it had happened, but like I had a story about it and it was different. Like I knew it had happened. I had not really thought about it and it came up. And it was just so crazy because I let myself feel it. And all of a sudden, I didn't purposely do it, but my goddesses came in, they took it out of my throat and they like chopped it up. I'm sorry. That's, I felt like guilty that they chopped it up and like threw this penis into the air and then took a vacuum cleaner and put it down my throat and like cleaned out my throat. Mm. And 
I've never had a lump in my throat ever again. And I had felt that for years. And, um, and I'd also been really scared of the dentist for years and I never like connected it, mm-hmm. which is so bizarre. Knowing well, Mary, my experience it's so powerful, you know, you having the intention to be mm-hmm. present and not knowing what that might bring up, but probably subconsciously recognizing that you know, the defense mechanisms that you would bring in even of like, be with the goddesses, they're going to protect me, look over here, kind of like the distraction of like, look towards the light, look towards what feels positive while you're carrying this lump in your throat for decades and decades and decades and decades. And the only way that you could have actually have healed through it is to have processed through it of allowing yourself to really feel it again. And now it's gone. Now you are free of it. Does it feel that way for you? Yeah. And it's like a mirror. It felt like a miracle. It felt like the spontaneous healing of a trauma. And it was so complete. It was like, I left and I was like, that's done. Like it, it really felt like it was gone. Like, you know, my therapist would say up and out, Mary, up and out, like let it up and out. And and it was just up and out. It was like, it really, it, it was unlike anything. I mean, I've done EMDR. I've done, mm-hmm. I mean, I've done like, like IFS. I've done tap. Like I've done so many things in my life, you know, and nothing is like that experience for me of just this complete healing in the moment. And, and it's being present with this terror yeah, and discomfort, but also knowing I'm safe at the same time. Yes. And it's, and it's just so powerful. Um, so for me, you know, I, I haven't done too much research, but I don't see tons about trauma and ketamine. But for me, 100%. It's I, trauma therapy. <laughs> yeah, it's a trauma therapy. Again, the clients that I work with, it's definitely trauma therapy. And I bring in, like you mentioned before, IFS, internal family systems, is very powerful. Mm-hmm. But also the somatic piece, which is what you just spoke to. Like I felt a lump in my chest. It moved into my throat. It looked black. It felt like this. That's all somatic experiencing, which mm-hmm. in the in the container of a ketamine experience, you do feel like you described safe for the most part in allowing those physical, actual sensations to be there and to be experienced so that they can be released, Mm -hmm. so that they can be released. And once they're fully discharged like that, in my experience of it, the beauty of it is that it's actually gone for good. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's so powerful. It's so powerful. (laughs) It is. And it's like, oh shit, what's going to come up next time? (laughs) I you know, I, I 100% feel like I've surrendered. I feel like trusting the medicine. I really do. Um, And I also feel like, hmm, what's going to, there is a little trepidation. I mean, logically, intellectually, I feel like, I'm doing this. I'm mm-hmm. peeling it away. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want the, this stuff, you know, unconsciously affecting my life. Anymore. Mm-hmm. You're like, stronger I now because you've moved, you've moved through the healing journey of some of the pieces mm-hmm. like that. It's like, I can do this. I can do hard things. I can feel this and get I on do. the other side of it. Yeah. Intellectually I do, but then I still see myself sometimes, you know, during a session, 
like actually a few weeks ago, I was, I did a home session and, um, recently it's brought up stuff about my relationship with my husband and, um, he and I've been married 20 years this year, which is awesome. Um, but it started to bring up some concerns or something I had. And, um, and I could hear myself say, I'm not doing that right now, you know? And then, but then I also saw myself say, no, it's okay. Like, I trust that this is coming up for a reason, but there's still, I could still see parts of me that are like, no, we're not going there. We're Mm -hmm. not going there, but it's definitely decreased. Well, it's kind of nice to know that you still do have that locus of control that you can say, I'm not going there while Mm -hmm. on the medicine. And that's honored. Mm-hmm. that you don't That's lose true. control completely. And it's like a tidal wave that you have to succumb to. You can say no. I, yeah, that feels true to me. I mean, the experience that I mentioned about the being forced to give a blowjob did feel like I, that, well, I went into the, the sensation. So I chose to do that, but I was very surprised by the content of what came up. Whereas though there have been times when there's like a person in my life or a, a situation that I sort of think about during the ketamine experience and I'll say like, nope, that's too much. And it, and, and I, it's, it is really nice that it doesn't take over. It's like, I always feel like it's like meditation that I can say, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm going to come back to my breath. I'm going to let that go. And I really do feel like I can do that during ketamine, which has been powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because that was a little bit of your first anxiety too, of I'll lose control completely, but you, you haven't, you don't. Mm. No, no. The body sensations actually have decreased, but that didn't feel like I had control over Like the intensity of the tingling and the Mm -hmm. heat and everything for me, I think that um, yeah, they've definitely decreased though. So I don't know if that was adrenaline mixed with the medicine mixed with, I don't know. Well, it sounds like (laughs) what was brewing under the surface before the medicine has probably been there too for decades and decades. That's why even just the suggestion of like, you might do a ketamine experience internally, the energy was like, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) like it knew it was going to come to the surface. And then like you experienced, it did that huge rush, right. And Mm -hmm. the warmth and the tingling, that big release, like a volcano or an acupuncture needle, like finally going in and all this energy comes out. Yeah, it did feel like a volcano, (laughs) but less now, less now. Yeah. Um, And so are you noticing then it's less now that there's more of a sense of stability, like physical, emotional, psychological stability through the work that like after now the work that you've been doing these sessions the past almost a year, 10 months. Mm. Um, Stability outside the sessions. Yeah. 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 So (laughs) the honest answer is I did for six months, I would say. And then, and this is when I say it to me, it's, it's trauma work is I do feel like it's peeling an onion. And Mm -hmm. so like things that I haven't looked at have come up in the last few months that have actually been kind of destabilizing. Actually, I wrote a little bit about this this morning. Um, Just 
knocking down like defenses that have been there for so long, which I'm choosing to do. And I know my life will be bigger and fuller and, and more beautiful. It's, it's can be a little destabilizing. And um, I think I've done, I don't know. My therapist says that I work very deeply. I don't know if I just, that's like an ego thing for me to say, but I do think that I've had pretty intense experiences and I've had them, I've been doing them once a month and then at home sessions. So, you know, and that's part of my ego too, is like, let's just do this. Let's get it done, you know, and in a way that maybe I could have slowed down a little bit. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So that's where I am right now. I'm kind of getting an image of like a rocket blasting into outer space. And when it's crossing through the atmosphere, it's like everything is rattling and shaking mm. before then you get into space and everything's like, oh still again. But it, if you're doing deep sessions once a month plus at home, yeah, you're like up to your neck, if not almost over your head in <laughs> the deep end with your, with, with your own trauma. You are, you could go slower and maybe you'll choose to like, I don't know, hang on to the side of the pool for a minute, you know, and take a little bit of break, but it's for you to decide. It's your healing journey. Yeah. And this has really made me see that, that like part of my, the way I dealt with my life growing up was to always like work harder oh. and longer and do better, you know, and, yeah. and that's how I left when I was younger, we moved to Florida and I hated it there. And that's where I had a lot of bad experiences. And I was like, the day I got out of high school, I'm out of there. And then like, as soon as I got out of there, I was like, I have to provide for myself and I have to do all these things. And mm -hmm. so I've just been in this sort of this like, go, 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 do better, do more, whatever, which our culture kind of is. But um, I think also just sort of a type A personality anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing that with my ketamine work mm -hmm. of like, Sometimes my therapist will say, Mary, it's okay just sometimes to say, like, show me beauty or like, just give me a gift universe. Like one, I think one of our sessions was like, just to ask the universe to give me beautiful gifts. Mm -hmm. And it was so neat because I, because my, my um, natural response would have been to say, let's work on something, you know, and she's like, let's just like, accept from the universe, like just, mm -hmm. you know, and and within like 10 minutes of swallowing the medicine and closing my eyes, I heard a plane go overhead and I saw like a gift being dropped into my lap. And it was just so cool. Like, um, I don't even remember exactly what the gift was, but it was so beautiful. I had like four gifts given to me during that session. And um, Well, I think that ties into what you mentioned earlier about your, it's hard for you to receive. It's hard mm. for you to ask for help. And so even just putting out there, like, give me a gift. Like that's not like your normal personality. Mm, right. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to do something. You can something. receive. You can receive. Yeah. yeah. You can receive. Yeah. You can feel yeah, so safe maybe in I receiving. Maybe I should do a few more of those, <laughs> a few more sessions well, like that. It, it, I mean, just from this little bit that we've been talking, right? I, I could see you know, I see a lot of myself in you in that way of overachiever, working, independent, you know, successful. And then I've noticed since COVID began, especially a lot of my own healing medicine has been in, in going slower, 
doing less. Mm. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to prove anything to be lovable. Mm. I can take my time. Simplicity, slowing down has just like, <laughs> I haven't felt anything like it in my whole life. You've really been able to do that? For the most part, I've been, it's been at my forefront. Yes. And I, you know, there's been a tendency for the gears to get going qu pretty quickly again. And then I feel it and I notice it. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's happening again. And I'm like, slow down, do less, mm. say no, let go, let go, let go, let go. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, I feel like it's also sort of like dominoes. Once you do it, it gets easier. But um, yeah, I during COVID we live in Mass. Well, we live in Massachusetts, and uh, I guess I'm less anonymous with the more information I say. But we um, moved to Vermont for the winter. Um, I have kids, and they were online school, and um. And it was so beautiful to have this time with them in this beautiful place without a lot of external um, commitments. I mean, I was still working with my clients, but on the computer and, um, and I started cross country skiing like most days. And I just remember being so present for so long, like the longest I ever have. Like, and just, I remember one day being in a jacuzzi and looking outside and looking at leaves and seeing the first snowflake fall. And it was like, I just witnessed a miracle. <laughs> you know, to see the first snowflake, I was like, holy shit. Like, it was just so crazy. Like, I'd never been that awake in my life, you know, and it was so beautiful. Um, and, and then I moved back to Massachusetts and we got more, like a little bit busier. Um, and so I've been less in that space, but it's also, there's been like, I mentioned some relationship things that have come up that have made me like my defense is like, oh, like I got to figure this out now, like whatever, you know, so, but that never like figuring out never, never, never works. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm a slow learner, maybe. Um, I don't know. So you're learning slow. You're not a slow, slow learner. You're <laughs> just learning slow. How do I do slow? <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to make a shirt that says that. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, overall, like you had asked about, I, I mean, I think I don't wake up and say, I hate myself anymore. I don't, um, I feel a lot co more comfortable socially. Like I'm not as concerned about what everybody thinks as much as I used to be. Um, I'm much more flexible in terms of like just my response to the world. Um, and I'm in a hard place too, because I'm examining things I haven't looked at for years that I've just sort of marched through and kept going and haven't looked at. So it's a both and or whatever that saying mm -hmm. is. Um, so, yeah. Um, those are, those are, to be in a place where you care less about what other people think, that your reactions are more spacious and more flexible, just and you know probably less anxious now too, mm -hmm. is huge. Mm -hmm. Like those aren't small things. No, 
No. That it's that not. in itself is life changing, and you're also consciously doing your own internal work. Mm. That's amazing. It's amazing. And there's like magic. I was just in my I'm in the Polaris training for ketamine assisted psychotherapy, and I was with a few other uh, clinicians, and just we are talking about how there's like a magic in this work, you know. And this is like this. It's something we don't get to have in our normal lives and we're so busy of just slowing down and seeing the first snowflake or whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's, there's so it's, it's like a, it's, a polishing of the mirror, like a cleansing of the lens of your filter from which you view yourself and view reality where it sounds like it's just a lot clearer and cleaner for you now where you can mm -hmm. actually see the first snowflake. You know, a year ago, you might have been sitting in the jacuzzi, but you wouldn't have even have been present with the external world. You would have been caught up in your own story about whatever that wasn't even mm -hmm. happening in that moment. Mm. Yeah, that still happens, but less. And right. I'm more aware that there is a different way of being in the world. Um, so... Yeah, it's been a it's been a beautiful gift. Um, I feel very blessed, um, you know. And it's also awareness that not everyone can do it. It's expensive. It's time consuming. And um, I don't know. I'm just grateful that I've been able to um, to do it. I'm sorry if you hear screaming in the background. I hear <laughs> I hear I hear a loud voice, but I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. It's okay. Home, home, work from home life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you have, I, I know there were so many things I, I wanted to talk about and I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am so grateful for you for sharing just the pieces of your story that you have mm -hmm. and knowing that you're doing the work professionally and in your own life so that you can also be a therapist now with this medicine and with this work. I'm in the Polaris trainings too. I'm sure we've probably been in some modules together. And uh, it's the community is so supportive of one another, which I really love. And it feels like almost a new way to be in professional relationship and partnership. At least that's my experience is it, everyone's so um, inclusive of, of each other and, and the networking feels like it's so rich. Like I don't feel any, um, territory, right? This is mm. mine. That's yours. It's like, Ooh, let's, let's, let's all figure this out together. Let's support each other, which is, I don't know. Again, I, I guess it just <coughs> surprises me to some degree. Cause I feel like I've maybe perhaps always been a little afraid of like professional organizations and competitiveness and that type of thing. And it doesn't feel like it's there. And so just witnessing that, I think overall gives me a sense of hope for all of us of where we could be going, especially when we're beginning to include in a conscious way, in a mainstream forefront way, the use of psychedelics as a tool for connection and healing personally and as a collective. I think Polaris has done a beautiful job. It definitely feels like the leadership has trickled down into the culture mm -hmm. um, in a collaborative, supportive, 
way um, that's really conscious. I don't know. I've loved it. But um, yeah, and I'm looking forward to doing this work with the clients. Um, when do you think that that will begin for you? So I've started to do some consulting just with people, just because word of mouth of helping people with intention and coming up with sort of guided visualizations to sort of support them. Um, but guiding people through a whole ketamine assisted psychotherapy session, probably in August, once my kids go back to school, I'm going to transition more fully and fully into that. I'm hoping mm-hmm. yeah. we, we doing that. In person or online? I will. I think I would want to do it in person. Um, yeah, I think I'll do it in person. I don't know. I'm still in process. I'm, my my next ketamine sessions are going to help me sort of uh, have some more clarity around this. So I'm in a transition where I work in a um, my current my current job. I'm hoping I'm hoping to transition out of because they're not open to ketamine assisted psychotherapy there. So um, I'll be going out on my own or hopefully collaborating with someone. So that's mm-hmm. all to be figured out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in Massachusetts, do you feel like, um, how do you feel about hanging your shingle as a psychedelic therapist? Um. Why do you ask? I'm interested. So I, I guess um, I'm not really part of the community, the psychedelic community of therapists here yet, um, because my training with Polaris has been Polaris. It's mostly, it seems, West Coast people. Um, those are most of the connections I've made. However, my own therapist, and um, obviously is local, um, and I know a few others who are going through training now and hopefully during the MAPS training, um, I hope to make more connections. Um, I feel, I mean, I think people are, there There are groups that are open to it, but they're, but I feel like it's still not as, um, it's still seen as more cutting edge than it seems to be on the West Coast where it's more accepted is what my understanding is. I don't, I'm not is sure. Being, is being cutting edge a little scary for you? Um, I don't think so. I mean, in my current, in my way I work now, it is. I've pushed back a little bit with the, the psychiatrist there, um, which I think before ketamine, I wouldn't have because I would have thought they're the ones with all the medical training. I'm not how, like, who am I to, you know, to challenge them, but I'm getting more comfortable with that actually. Um, No, I think your questions, right. I mean, I need to make more connections um, probably locally to feel better, but I don't want to, because I don't think it's great to do it in isolation. It is so much about collaboration and connecting with other people and hearing about their experiences and supporting each other. I'm out here in Idaho. Oh, I forget that you're not, (laughs) to me, that's West. I don't know. It's West from here. I'm in Idaho. I work with a woman at the Boise Ketamine Clinic who's a CRNA and she's the prescriber. And there's another ketamine clinic in town who just, they just do infusions. And so I think I'm one of maybe one or two ketamine therapists. Mm-hmm. in uh, Boise for sure. And maybe there's 
a half a dozen of us in the States, perhaps. I don't know who they are, but I'm thinking that they're out there somewhere. Maybe. So, and you know, this is a very red state as well. So how did you get started? I'm sorry. I'm sure. No, it's okay. The story before, but. How did I get started with the ketamine therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I had a therapeutic experience in December of 2019, my first um, ketamine therapy experience. And it was very powerful, but I, it was just, I don't know, I just kind of got like super inspired of like, wow, this is possible to work in a therapeutic way legally with, with something that's a psychedelic that helps people get into a non-ordinary space. And that was just super exciting for me. And so I reached out to the Boise Ketamine Clinic, the woman, Nicole Bailey, who runs it, and just gave her a cold call. I just emailed her. I didn't know. I'd never met her. I didn't know her. I just said, hey, you know, this is who I am. And this is, I would love to work um, with ketamine in a therapeutic way. And I see that you're doing IVs and IMs. And what would you think about working together? Because that's kind of the caveat is you need a prescriber. Like I can't write the medicine prescription. I can't get that for people. I needed to find somebody who would work with me. And she was incredible and just said, sure. I mean, at first she kind of pushed back and was like, well, can you, can you, it was like medical technical questions about like giving IVs and things like that. And, and then I wrote back and I said, no, no, I'm thinking about trochies, about sublingual. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's, we can do that. And I wow. told her I was going to get the training through the Ketamine Training Institute in April of 2020. I'd signed up for that. And so it was like, okay, well, I'll get this training and then we'll circle back around and start working together once I could get that finished. And then it was canceled, of course, because of COVID. And then I thought, oh, well, I don't know when it's going to be rescheduled. I guess I'll just have to wait and see. And so a month or so went by. And then my partner, he actually said, you know, it's just what Nicole wants to do to feel good working with you. It's not like you have to get the training. It's not like there's a licensure that you have to have. It's not like it's designated. These are the steps to be a ketamine therapist. And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. Maybe reach out to Nicole. And I, so I said, you know, what would you feel comfortable with if I can't do this training so that we can begin working together? And she's like, well, you know, read the ketamine papers, which I was doing anyways, and have come and have an IV session in the clinic. And that's it. You're already well qualified to do this. Hmm. And so then that's what we did. And so she and I have been working together since July of last year, leading groups and leading solo sessions. So she prescribes and I do the ketamine therapy. So it's been almost a year for me working with clients, patients in that space. And it's been amazing. Mm. It's been amazing. But <laughs> it's definitely like you spoke to here for sure, definitely on the fringes. And but more and more people are finding out about it. And those that have an experience with it are like yourself, just realizing how powerful of a healing modality it is mm. with very little side effects. Right. Yes. And just one session can be transformative immediately. It's not like you take a medication and maybe weeks or months down the road, you'll start to feel better. It's right away. Yes. Um, do you, pres do you prescribe or Nicole, is that mm -hmm. what you said? Her name? Does, do you 
um, the two of you give people um, trophies for at-home sessions or do you primarily do it in the office? Yeah, it's primarily in the office. Those have, who have gone through a series of IV, she will then prescribe home trochee use for them. And mm -hmm. I lead groups. And so the group patients, it's a series of four or six groups. They can now take home their trochees too. And I've mm -hmm. got like a whole set of home guidelines for them that I give them. And then this current group that I'm with, it was two in-clinic sessions and then two group online sessions. Mm. That is so neat. Yeah. Wow. So do you love your work? I mean, that's... I love it. I love it. It's so powerful. It's, you know, just being able to provide a space for that depth of healing and to hold space for people who like yourself and many of us feel quite scared or anxious going into a non-ordinary space. And so part of what I see I do, you know, at least 50, if not more percent of it is the holding of the space mm. so that they can do the work that their designs, they're needing to do, which I can't determine what's going to come up. I'm just holding the space. Yeah, I find that it's hard now that I know the depth of healing that can happen and the speed with which it can happen to do traditional therapy. Um, that has been tough for me. Hmm. Um, not that I'm saying traditional therapy isn't helpful in some ways, but working with clients who I know could be helped by this in a clinic where it's not um, okay to talk about has been tough. So, so you're actually in a, in a clinic as a practitioner mm -hmm. where you can't talk about psychedelic therapies or you feel like you can't. Um, I've been told not to recommend it. Okay. Wow. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that's a personal conflict of interest for you. Which is where I am. Like, yeah, transitioning. Like I'm figuring that out now. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So I have no yeah. doubt you'll navigate through that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I'm really I'm looking forward to doing that work I mean there's a part of me that gets a little bit nervous like oh my gosh if a client has you know I we, I just did the Polaris um, role-playing module I don't know if you've done that one yet mm -hmm. but um, and it, you know one of my the actors in my role-playing module really was like oh my god I can't hear you where am I I don't know where I am like screaming and yelling and I was like Jesus I wasn't prepared for this fight <laughs> you know but I I that's what comes up for me is like will I be able to hold this space for someone if they're really having a super difficult time so that's part of my work is to like trust they'll be okay and I'll be okay so I don't know for you was that hard to well, I remember very clearly my first ketamine session as a practitioner. <laughs> it was a group session and there were six oh people God. in the group. And I remember thinking to myself something along the lines of, well, we'll see how this goes. Because <laughs> I, you know, you think that you know and you can prepare, but you don't until you're in it. Mm. You don't until you're in it. But at the same time, I've had... 20 years experience leading yoga and leading meditation and leading group spiritual practices. And so I actually find it quite similar mm. to that, to that 
to that skill that I've cultivated over all of these years because it is the same in some ways, especially in the group setting. It is the same. You're setting the tone. You're setting the set and setting in the environment. You're helping them to feel safe and connected. And then you're guiding them into themselves, like into a shavasana, like into a Mm -hmm. meditation. You're guiding them inside and the music is such a integral part. And that's a main guide, especially during the journey. And then you're helping to bring them back out and then holding space for that as they're you know, tenderly emerging. And, and then with different clients too, that perhaps have struggled, you know, knowing how to lead breathing practices, knowing how to give guided meditations just on the fly and feeling too personally, very comfortable with physical touch and giving physical touch and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, I think has all been really helpful. So it's not unfamiliar, uncomfortable. It's second nature already. So I'm grateful for that. No. All right. Well, if you'll ever take mentor, I, I, you could be, I could come and study under you. That's what I'm like. Oh my gosh. I have to find someone to do. Do you, oh, so you do it alone or you do it with Yeah, Nicole. I do it alone. I do because it alone. I know that some people do the more, I think the maps, like the two people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is actually what my therapist had planned on doing was um, her and another provider together. But then when COVID happened, it changed things. So she's like, we can try with just me. And it's been fine. But that was the original plan was two people. I feel Um, like two was slightly overkill in the same room. Like in the clinic, it's a home that we're in. That's the clinic. There's other, like Nicole or another nurse is there. They're like someone else on sites, but not in the same room. Because they're not really needed. Yeah. I I I don't think. And even with no, the just I- as a new therapist, they were needed. <laughs> well, <laughs> or not have... a new therapist, but a new ketamine. Yeah. Well, ketamine. you have that moment like I did where you're like, here we go. We'll see how this goes. And you yeah. never know. <laughs> like I think sometimes I go into a session and I and I think, you know, because of the clients or who they are, what my assumptions are, I think it's gonna go this way. And it never does. I, I yeah. have to say I have to stay so present and able to just surf what comes up and some are very quiet and some are very talkative and some need this or that or nothing at all and you you can never know ahead of time what that might be but the main so, element I would say is nurturing loving compassionate non-judgmental space that you're holding and I think as you talk trusting it will be okay because that's where my brain goes to what if it's not okay but they're going to be okay they're going right? to be okay yeah. yeah but mine's like what if they're not okay you know so that's that's where i go is that anxious part of me jumps in so mm. it will be so that's what i'm learning um, yeah it is trust cuz even like like a difficult quote unquote experience is incredibly healing or can be you know mm-hmm. it's our label that that's bad Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of trusting, that's precisely what needed to be felt and happens. Like in my last group session last time, last Tuesday, one of the clients said, I know I asked what their intention was. And he said, well, I want to be open to feeling all my feelings. And I was kind of joked. And I said, are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> all of your feelings? 
And he said, yeah. He's like, oh yeah, that's, that could go anywhere. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all your feelings. I'm like, but if that's your intention, that's beautiful. Is that what you want it to be? And he's like, yeah, that's what I want it to be. And then afterwards he's, it was hard. It brought up a lot of painful feelings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then we talked about, you know, that was your intention. That was your intention. And those were probably precisely the feelings that weren't being felt. That you didn't know going in, like, I want to be open to feeling grief or sadness or sorrow. It's just like this more unconscious recognition of, I think there's something that I'm not feeling. There's more out there. Can I be open to that? And then when it arising, not feeling like, well, that was a bad journey because I felt, you know, again, bad. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful, actually. Right, because then all of a sudden he can experience life in such a fuller way. He doesn't have to shrink away anytime he gets closer to that bad feeling. Exactly. That's a lesson in and of itself. Yeah, I can navigate through feeling deeper depths and come out on the other side and I'm okay. Mm. And now it's integrated. Yeah, I think for me it was panic is intolerable. Like mm. I won't I won't survive, you know? And so I'm learning, like I said, to me, this has been like exposure therapy for me. Every time I get scared and I have these intense sensations and I live through it and I'm better for it and I'm okay, you know, but it's also that same part of me, I think, worries about clients, you know? So, and that's what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm doing my own work so that when I'm with my clients, I don't bring that to them. Mm. Um, because it's hard to see someone suffer and to mm -hmm. panic and to be scared, but it's necessary. Like you said, I mean, it's in this. Well, content. we can't pick and choose necessarily. We think that we can, but when mm -hmm. we shut ourselves off from feeling a feeling, it's typically all feelings get lessened. Mm -hmm. And in my own ketamine journeys that I've had in the therapeutic setting, I, one of the truths I've emerged with them from, with, from it is that, you know, the non-dual nature of reality, how even what we think might be bad is good and how we would think might is good is bad. And that's kind of everything is holding each other. They're actually not separate. Yeah. We can't have one without the other. Yeah, I always think of brutal. Glennon Doyle talks about brutal. She's you can't have the beautiful, the beauty without the brutal. Mm. And it's it's, I agree, and I've felt that. Um, but it's like you, I almost have to be in that place to because like right now I'm not feeling like I'm in that place necessarily. <laughs> so like I remember believing everything you just said, but right now I'm not feeling. But when it ha when it's clear, it's so clear. Well, I think too, it's both. And it's on the, the universal macro level, that's the truth. And in reality, on the micro level, pain is pain. Mm. And that can feel all consuming. And of course, we don't want anyone to suffer. And we're here to actually relieve suffering. Mm. While holding the truth that suffering is like a natural component of the human experience. We're also trying to relieve it within ourselves and others. Mm. 
So a bit of a paradox. A bit of a paradox, yeah. Yeah, and I guess one of the things I didn't say about my experience with ketamine is that it's it's definitely made me more aware of my mortality and in a beautiful way, in a brutal way of like, oh my God, like this life is so precious and and I don't have forever. You know, for so long I was like, oh, when I'm happier, when I like myself more, like all these things that you, you know, every self-help book talks about, like, but I was less conscious of the fact that I was doing that. And then to see like, no, my life is today. My life is now. And, but really, I think there was like a month of really having this like strong awareness of death, like every second, like I need to, I think actually that was part of what was pushing me so hard with ketamine was like, mm -hmm. I was like, I got to do this. I got to figure this out because you know, I, the next half of my life is going to fucking be awesome. Like, I'm not going to do what I did for the last half of what, you know, and it's like, I don't want to regret like having not fully lived, you know, in ways that mm. I, I kind of do now, you know, that I'm like, you know, and, and I guess you could look at it from the dualistic perspective of it all had to have whatever, but I still, it was suffering and I want to do things that I haven't done. And I'm so aware that my life isn't going to live forever in a way that, did I just say my life isn't going to live for that? I am not <laughs> going to live forever in a way that I, I hadn't been before well, doing coming ketamine. to the a place where you can accept that you are going to die is a powerful mm. place to come because it's also something we are not conditioned to deal with or manage or talk about or see or understand. So congratulations. <laughs> it's that's powerful. Yeah. We are mortals. This is impermanent. It is a blessing. Every breath, we don't know when it's going to end. And to hold that in your consciousness while living moment to moment um, takes skill. Yeah. And it really opens your heart. True. It opens your heart if you can stay open to it and not shrink in fear of like, cause I think there was some time where I was like <sighs> constricting of like, I gotta, I gotta figure this all out. I gotta get this done. Cause I don't have forever in a way that I wasn't opening my heart and just being with what was in that moment and like fully taking everything in. And so I think I'm coming back into that place now, but there was a time when there was like a, it, it was like, um, it felt almost intolerable again, like to know that it's not forever and that there's so much I want to do that I haven't been doing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all part of the journey, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing you. your story and being so vulnerable and open and doing your own work so that you can help others, which I have no doubt you're going to do. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see where you go and what happens for you professionally and personally too. And just within a year, it sounds like you've covered a lot of ground. Thank you for being such a loving presence. Like I can, even though we're on the computer, I, I feel like I can feel you here. It's just, it's been really nice to talk with you and much less intimidating than I thought. So thank you for making it that way. You're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for giving yourself in this time. Oh, thank and good you luck so with much. your book. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> yes, do. We'll share it with the guests when it comes out. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome.